primary care knowledge boost, endometriosis. Welcome to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we speak to Dr. Uma Marthy about endometriosis. Yes, she's been on the podcast before and did a wonderful episode um, that was also gynae related, but she decided to come back today and talk to us about this topic because she is a huge advocate for endometriosis and we think that this does come across in the episode. Um, we start with a hypothetical case as an illustration of the topic before discussing the definition of endometriosis, the ways it can present, how to diagnose it and the options for treatment. Yeah, and we'll be back at the end for our learning points. We hope you enjoy. Um, so Uma, um, I know you've been on the podcast before, but would you mind introducing yourselves again and uh, explain a little bit about your current role? Yeah, definitely. It's my pleasure. Uh, thank you very much for giving me another opportunity uh, to talk about my favorite uh, subject, women's health. Uh, I'm a GP at uh, Castleton Health Center in Rochdale, uh, but I have a special interest uh, in women's health as I was a gynecologist for many years. So I run a community gynae clinic and I offer community gynae services for uh, nearly 40 practices in Haywood, Middleton, Rochdale, a CCG. I'm a GP trainer, but I don't have any current uh, trainees, but I'm involved in uh, education, uh, especially in women's health, nurses and doctors. Great. And so today we are talking about endometriosis. So why are we talking about it today? Why is it so important? Uh, Surprisingly, uh, we, we know that as GPs, we see a lot of common conditions. If you look at endometriosis, the incidence of endometriosis is about 38 per thousand. And same thing, same as asthma, 37 per thousand, and same as almost, uh, you know, backache, which is a very common condition. So overall, if you see asthma, backache, diabetes, as the incidence similar to that of um, endometriosis, but unfortunately mm. it is called as a missed disease because it is one condition which is diagnosed very late. And recently the all parliamentary group have submitted uh, their uh, uh, survey, uh, which is very interesting to know. Uh, that that the lay diagnosis uh, it's not just a uk it's all all over the world uh, the diagnosis is late it's diagnosed very late and i see a lot of women uh, coming and saying that they have suffered for so many years and uh, nothing was done for them and a very sad life actually for if you hear these stories yeah yeah it's incredibly common and the amount of suffering that people have had before they get to the diagnosis can be such a huge impact on their lives yeah and uh, if you also look at the incidence, it's actually one in 10 women in UK. Actually, they say 1.5 million women suffer. And uh, worldwide, if you see the number of people who suffer, it's almost like 180 million or uh, something like that. And they say it's almost like it'll be one continent, you know, if you actually take the endometriosis. And it is the second most common gynecological condition and is uh, one of the most common as a main cause for infertility as well. So, uh, if you look at overall, it's a very important um, condition which uh, which should be diagnosed early. Yeah, gosh. Um, so we thought to sort of orientate people around the topic, we'd take a hypothetical case and then just go through it really in terms of diagnosis, investigations and management. So excuse my rambling, I'll, I'll try and uh, <laughs> try and condense our case. So we've got hypothetical Leslie. Uh-huh. Um, she's 24. Mm-hmm. Um, she reports having really heavy, painful periods. Mm-hmm. So she's come into the GP. Um, she said they've always been bad and they could 
caused her some time off school and university, but it's gotten worse over the last couple of years. So she's taking time off from her job now. She's finding that about one to two weeks before her period, mm-hmm. she's starting to feel generally pretty unwell, mm-hmm. um, really tired, lower abdominal pain, back pain. And then sometimes she might not get out of bed for a couple of days or just, just mm-hmm. about manage to kind of get up and go to the toilet, but just really feeling really grotty for a few days every every month. Mm-hmm. Um, she's even been to out of hours and A&E a few times mm-hmm. uh, over the years because the pain's been so severe. But yeah, when, when we're asking further gynecological history, there's no intermenstrual bleeding. There's no postcoital bleeding. She's had no other abdominal pains, mm-hmm. um, no weight loss, no urinary symptoms. Um, she's never been pregnant and she has no current partner or plans for pregnancy. So her past medical history, she's been diagnosed previously with IBS um, Mm -hmm. with constipation and she takes laxatives and some painkillers as required. She's no family history of note, but her mum had very similar problems with painful periods. She did take the contraceptive pill for a while, but she stopped taking it because she got some acne and some mood side effects as well. Mm -hmm. So that's Leslie. Um, So to start with, Talk us through your thought, your initial thoughts with Leslie and, and what you're thinking in terms of differential diagnosis. Okay. Uh, Leslie, uh, that uh, your hypothesis is uh, it's a very, very common presentation. That's how we see patients. And uh, I'm sure you, you have seen a lot of uh, young girls, uh, young women coming with the complaints. And I see the same in my community gynec clinic. So it's a very common uh, presentation, uh, heavy, painful periods. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing you mentioned is in the history, the pain starts before periods so these are the key points you know as uh, uh, GPs we are good at listening uh, uh, we are supposed to be good listeners <laughs> and when you take the history analyze it she said that the pain is starting before periods okay so what are the when you look at it, it's basically we're dealing with a dysmenorrhea Okay, dysmenorrhea is, uh, as we all studied, uh, it's a primary and a secondary. Primary dysmenorrhea is a dysmenorrhea which starts on the day of the period starts. It's more common when the early part of menarche, you know, when the young girl starts her regular periods, still start with a primary dysmenorrhea. But uh, typically, secondary dysmenorrhea is the dysmenorrhea, is the pain starts before the onset of periods. And it will continue throughout the periods and must end after the, at the end of the periods. So that history is very important and uh, if you look at the um, differential diagnosis and what are the causes which can cause painful periods uh, there there are conditions like uh, patients can have fibroids uh, which can cause painful periods and have a chronic uh, pelvic inflammatory disease that also can cause a congestion and painful uh, periods Uh, it could be even like adenomyosis or endometriosis and uh, fibroids but less likely to see fibroids at that age group okay so um so obviously we're um honing in on endometriosis in this episode in particular um so we thought we might start off with um, a very basic um explanation of what endometriosis actually is um, and what ways it might present in primary care okay endometriosis uh, is uh, like you know is the is the lining of the womb uh, when we say that what is endometriosis, if you to describe it, is uh, it is the lining of the womb that is the endometrium, which is present outside the uterus. That is uh, the explanation for the endometriosis. Though it it can present anywhere. It can't just present. It can be in the ovary, can be in the vaginal walls, or it can be inside. Uh, uh, it can be within the myometrium. So, but 
the main point is this endometrium is hormone sensitive. So what happens is if the endometriosis, these are called endometriotic spots or endometrial, uh, the air is, so the endometrial, which is outside the uterus, also responds to the hormones. So that is the main cause of the pain. So imagine if the young lady has endometriosis in the peritoneal area. Um, so when she starts periods, these endometriotic areas also bleed. When they bleed, that, that will irritate the peritoneum, causes inflammation and causes severe pain. Depending on the site where these spots are, the symptoms can vary. So that is actually endometriosis is outside. It's the endometrium which is outside the uterus that is causing the problem. And so how do we go about diagnosing it as endometriosis? How do you make the, the diagnosis of endometriosis? The one thing we have to remember is um, the uterus is in the middle and the in front is the bladder and behind is the bowel. So the reason for the delayed diagnosis of endometriosis is the overlap because all these three organs at the same time. If you look at many, many youngsters, they say, oh, oh yeah, I have irritable bowel syndrome. Many There are some studies where they presented with irritable bowel syndromes and all, but they all turned out to be endometriosis at a later stage. Uh, we have to ask the history, more history, as we are already discussing a patient's condition, explain more about uh, how, when it pain starts and how it ends. And any other sources, do you have any pain if she's sexually active? Do you have any pain with intercourse? Or and the, the, is a, do you have any pain opening bowels, especially during periods? Is there any pain associated with um, uh, urinary symptoms? Like is, sometimes they complain of pain uh, worse uh, during uh, periods when they, when they pass urine. It's a, like, a, like a dysuria which, where the cultures will be negative. So, uh, so we have to uh, expand our uh, questions, open questions, as we normally do in general practice. Uh, are there any other symptoms? Do you have any other symptoms? Do you have pain at any other any other time? Some patients, they'll have chronic pelvic pain. It's a non-cyclical pain. It's a chronic pain. So that is important as well. So uh, where, when do you have the the pain, is it cyclical or non-cyclical? How bad is the pain and how much impact you have, uh, the, the pain has on the quality of your life? Then the, usually the patient comes out, yes, uh, I'm having painful intercourse or, or I'm trying for a baby and it's, it's, it's almost for the last two years. It's not happening. So then uh, we can ask more open questions about it. Uh, you know, like uh, Then we can explore whether this is the cause for the infertility. So and the most important symptom is fatigue, which is often not included uh, in general. But uh, if you take history of a patient, she says she's tired all the time. She must have had 101 investigations about, you know, vitamin D, ferritin, iron levels. But fatigue is a very important symptom of endometriosis. It is also mentioned uh, very well in the NICE guide, in our NICE guidelines. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and can I just double check? Um, sorry, Uma, um, and you probably did say this and I just wasn't listening properly. Um, so the endometrial pain will be cyclical? Uh, it need not be cyclical, okay? Sometimes it can be cyclical, but, but if it is an extensive, there's a lot of scarring. Uh, most of the time it's cyclical, but a non-cyclical pain is also common in endometriosis because it causes scarring. You know, endometriosis can cause scarring and that can end up in uh, adhesions and then... Uh, uh, chronic pelvic pain, non-cyclical pain. Mm, yeah, that is, makes it even more difficult to pick up, really. So thinking about Leslie, if we follow her 
our next mm-hmm. steps after we see her is to complete a pelvic examination. So we check for swabs, um, general swabs for cultures and chlamydia. Just wanted to check here, are there any signs on pelvic examination that non-specialists might be able to pick up on? Uh, yes. First of all, uh, when we do the examination, uh, they say that, um, uh, you know, when you put a speculum itself, uh, the patient can feel uncomfortable. Okay, we have to observe right from the speculum examination. Of course, we, if you go in a systematic way, we'll examine the abdomen uh, for any masses or any tenderness, and then we'll do a speculum examination. So when you do the speculum examination, you have to observe the patient as well because um, they can feel uncomfortable even putting a speculum as well. And uh, of course, we look at the cervix. Sometimes they say they see endometriotic nodules, uh, but with my experience, it's not such a not common thing I, we see on speculum. But when we do the bimanual examination, it's very important that um, normally uh, uterus is uh, like antiverted, mobile, and uh, it's not tender, and the pain and the patient is not uh, in pain. But in endometriosis, when we uh, examine the patient, by, especially when you do the bimanual examination, these findings may or may not be there, but it's worth looking at it, okay? The uterus can be a retroverted uterus. And while examining, if you observe the non-verbal cues of the patient, she'll be very uncomfortable during the examination, or sometimes she may even ask you to stop as well. Another important thing is normally just examine and we take out the fingers, but it's worth uh, checking the phonics, anterior phonics, both lateral phonics and posterior phonics. Sometimes you may feel the nodules, which is rare, but the most important symptom is tenderness. And uh, sometimes the uterus can be fixed, you know, less mobile. So these are the findings mm-hmm. you can see. Of course, doing a swaps is very important because, uh, as we said in the differential diagnosis, pelvic inflammatory disease also can cause pain like that. So I was just thinking of that with cervical excitation from PID. Um, yeah. So yeah, so swaps all the way. Through. But mostly uh, in acute PID, they you find the cervical excitation. So like same similar, you know, when the patient, when the woman is uncomfortable during examination, it uh, gives us some, uh, uh, you know, idea what's going on. Yeah. So um, we have done that examination. Um, we didn't find anything in particular. Um, we, we're seeing Leslie back for a second appointment and uh, we have her swab results back, which are normal. Um, her full blood count and thyroid mm-hmm. results are also back and they're normal. So at this stage, would you recommend focusing on treatment and diagnosis or just treatment? Uh, because diagnosis-wise, uh the, yes, of course, you have some idea. You, we are suspecting endometriosis. The most important thing we should, I uh, think, discuss is the pain relief for the patient. What is she taking? Um, whether she has tried what pain can So we have to follow the pain ladder, whether she's is taking paracetamol, whether she has tried any non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like ibuprofen or reproxin. So those are the pain things. And... Um, you can actually, depending on your clinical findings, when there is tenderness in the phonesis, there is uh, the next step will be you can ask for a scan. Uh, usually, a transvaginal scan uh, is a scan is often gives some idea. I know that endometriosis we cannot see the endometriotic sp- spots. Uh, I, basically, I mean if the scan is negative, uh, doesn't mean that we have ruled out endometriosis. But uh, by doing uh, by arranging a scan, you, we can diagnose uh, conditions like endo. endo endometrioma uh, 
uh, interestingly there are the studies on um, transfer genital scan they say the transfer genital scan has 94% sensitivity in diagnosing ovarian endometriomas of course the specificity is slightly less it's 86% so it's worth arranging for a scan because the other differential diagnosis as well uh, sometimes you can have ovarian cysts like a dermoid cyst or anything you know that even that can cause painful examination there will be tenderness uh, on bimanual examination so uh, vaginal scan I, I'm, I'm sure we all can easily access the scans nowadays so it's worth uh, getting a scan done and uh, keeping in mind negative scan does not rule out endometriosis and um, apart from the the pain on examination is there any other um, kind of reason or time when a transvaginal ultrasound would be useful to order or would it really just be if you're finding the pain on examination but it's difficult sometimes, you know, if the woman is sexually active, you can do a transvaginal scan. Uh, if not, you can have to ask for a transabdominal scan to rule out endometrioma. So basically, uh, the purpose of the scan is uh, um, to see if, if, I, if you look at in general, uh, we can we rule out other conditions like fibroids as well. But you're, uh, you know, depending, as you mentioned, the age of the of your patients 22 but I didn't discuss it with the fibroids but uh, when you have a painful periods and there is tenderness and this is what the scan will rule out the fibroids as well it will be helpful for that as well it also diagnoses adenomyosis if the ultrasonographer is quite good they even pick up adenomyosis which is nothing but endometriosis in the uterine muscles uh, you know like the myometrium so that also can be picked up on scan mm. um you mentioned there about it being useful to do the transvaginal ultrasound scan because it can actually pick up endometriomas, ovarian endometriomas. Um, like you mentioned, it's not very, just because it doesn't pick that up doesn't mean they don't have endometriosis. Yeah. And uh, and next part about the what is the role of transvaginal scan? If you the ultrasonographer is quite uh, um, you know into the gynae ultrasound and they, they do three D scans, they can even pick up the nodules, deep endometriotic nodules. Okay, it depends on the machine and the quality of the machine as well as the ultrasonographers who are trained in that. They say that it's, it's almost same as an MRI scan, depending on the thing. Of course, in primary care we can't. Uh, we ask for an MRI scan. So, but when we refer the patients nowadays, the gynecologists are offering MRI scan for such for women before uh, offering laparoscopy. Uh, that is one of the recommendations from the guidelines as well. Yes, uh, uh, you know that um, European Society of Reproduction and Embryology they brought out guidelines in 2022, and they say that um, transvaginal scan is quite uh, good, and also like uh, MRI scan also picks up a uh, lot of uh, endometrial. Yeah, which may not be helpful for us in primary care, but uh, it's worth uh, asking, requesting for a transvaginal scan. Um, when would it be appropriate to refer these sorts of patients into secondary care? Okay, I'm glad you have actually given me the the opportunity to do the podcast because uh, this is one thing. A lot of things can be done in primary care because uh, we don't want the patient to be in pain. So how do we differentiate? Sometimes you're not sure whether it's irritable bowel syndrome pain or whatever is pain. The basic thing is if you stop the periods and see, so this lady, young lady is having painful periods. Why don't we stop the periods and see? So even before we refer to the patient to secondary care, we as a primary care physician, 
questions. I'm sure uh, most of uh, GPs do that. And uh, especially with the family planning recommendations with the back-to-back pill, you know, before we used to give like uh, three weeks and a year and a one week off. But nowadays we all are practicing the back-to-back pill. So if the woman is eligible, so that we have to next go to the hormonal treatment. So we discussed about the analgesia. So I think probably we should discuss more about the hormonal treatment. So what are the hormonal treatments we can offer to this patient? So we can give her a combined pill. If she has a favorite pill, she's already taking a pill or she has a favorite pill. You can ask her, why don't you take back to back? So why don't you take back to back for three months? Some people ask, can this take longer? But the problem is there'll be a problem of breakthrough bleeding if they take it longer. Mm-hmm. So the next question is, what about uh, some women who cannot take combined pill because they have very bad headaches and uh, migraine headaches and they don't like combined pill? So we can use progesterones. It is recommended that uh, POP, like a disogestrel, they can, which they take every day uh, for continuously. That's a very good option to try. So apart from analgesia, we should try all these hormonal treatments. Another important one is a depot, also is a treatment. But the problem with the depot is um, weight gain. So young people may not like it. And also this problem with the depot is when they want to plan fertility, it takes a longer time as well to come back. The ovulation to start after depot may take longer time. So that those are the uh, negative aspects of the depot. So we should try uh, hormonal treatment um, before uh, we refer the patient. So after trying the hormonal treatment and if the uh, young lady is happy, then it's fine. If it doesn't work, then she'll come back to you. Then we have no option except for to refer her to the secondary care. Those are the, actually the guidelines also say the same, you know, empirical treatment. They describe it as a, as a two-stage approach you know first is to investigate and the second is empirically treat whether it is a negative uh, scan or negative examination you have to go with the symptoms and then treat the patient i hope it's clear (laughs) it is yeah just thinking about the hormonal treatments, are, are coils options, the marina coil or the progesterone coils? Yeah, yeah that, that is also an option. It depends upon the choice of the patient, okay? As we always, uh, in a gender practice, we all give them the options. These options are not, uh, of course, they are not the options for women trying for infertility. For, for, fertility, for pregnant, if she uh, has infertility problem, we have no option except to refer her to the uh, secondary care. But um, fertility is not a problem then uh, we can even give them Myrena coil because Myrena coil is also a, a progesterone which uh, actually reduces the bleeding. It can cause amenorrhea and so no no periods, no pain. So that's how we, I, I usually discuss with the patients when they come to me, yeah. The, um, if the Myrena coil is used, would that help with the pain that comes from spores anywhere else? The Myrena coil, basically the role of the Myrena coil is uh, to stop the heavy periods and so probably in most of the patients, about at least 50 to 60%, it can cause amenorrhea. That itself uh, reduces the symptoms, isn't it? Uh, because it's a, it's a, as a, when a woman has a heavy periods, painful periods, this, this is a process, the retrograde menstruation. We didn't uh, really discuss the causes of uh, endometriosis. Knowledge is scanty, theories are plenty. The same, it applies very much for endometriosis because no one knows the exact reason. But one of the things they say is the retrograde menstruation. So when she has the more heavy periods, short cycles, heavy periods, there's the more the endometriosis can 
increase. That's what is, nothing has been confirmed with the studies, but it's one of the causes, they say, retrograde menstruation. So when we stop the periods, either with the pill or myrinite, overall it will help the patient. Thank you. Um, In terms of the complications that endometriosis can cause, um, you mentioned there about trouble with fertility. Um, Are there other important complications we need to be thinking of with endometriosis? Yeah, uh, endometriosis can be a very extensive disease. It can just spread everywhere. It can go into deep endometriosis, can cause bowel symptoms as well, as I said, uh, additions, and uh, and it can cause urinary symptoms as well. There is a separate group where the endometriosis can be away from the pelvis, like in the lungs and you know other other areas. So they are they are looking at it, and it's a different topic by itself. Uh, as a GP lead for this endometriosis society, I've actually worked with some of the volunteers. It's so sad to be so extensive; they can have to have a bowel resection. Okay, it can be so bad, and they can have. Uh, I I've met women who had a partial resection of the bladder. So it depends upon the extensive the disease stage. Because if you look at the stages of endometriosis, like stage one, two, three, four, stage three and four are they associated with deep endometriosis. So. They can cause chronic pelvic pain, bowel problems. And uh, of course, the most important thing is it has a significant impact on the mental health because they suffer with severe depression and loneliness and relationship problems. It's a vicious cycle, you know, it's a vicious cycle and it's a very sad condition. Yeah, that's, that's extensive, yeah. And then it's such an important condition, like you say, and the suffering can be huge, Um You've alluded to a few national things there, but um, on a national level, what, what, if anything, is being done about improving the care in this area? Right. You know, after a, a lot of uh, outcry by many women who are suffering with uh, endometriosis, uh, now uh, there is some recognition. Uh, you know, like about a few years ago, there was an article in Guardian uh, which actually brought a big change in the uh, because many people who were suffering with endometriosis, they put uh, in the article how they felt about it. Uh, that is, it's almost like a, a cancer, but uh, it uh, it doesn't kill them, but uh, makes them, uh, you know, like uh, there's no life because the, the the women describe it as a silent plague. And some wrote it's a way to took away my fertility and part of myself. So that's, these are the things which were made in the an article which came published in Guardian in uh, September 2015. And after a lot of work from the Endometriosis Society and various uh, charity groups, uh, the all-party parliamentary group, they did a survey. It's called Endometriosis Inquiry Report. You know, people who are interested, they can read that. It's published in 2020. That article showed that 58% of uh, women visited GP over 10 times. 43% 43% visited GP over 15 times and 53% went to any with symptoms. Okay. And 43% visited doctors in hospitals over five times. I'm just mentioning about things which are related to primary care. There are other things like about the surgery and everything, but this is what they found. And 95% of them said impacted their well-being negatively or very negatively. So that is very significant, I feel. Yeah, it is. Um, and were there any recommendations that came out of that? 
Yes, after uh, this, you know, because one thing we have to think about it is um, when we come and going back to that question, uh, like uh, when when you're not sure it could be endometriosis, you treat it and uh, your patient um, uh, is not very happy, you want to refer. You know, general gynecologists are very good, but there are gynecologists who are actually trained in doing laparoscopic. Uh, for example, what they found is uh, the, if a general gynecologist did not find endometriosis and laparoscopy, but a gynecologist who is specialized in endometriosis will be able to diagnose this much better because they'll have more training in that field. And uh, we we have to look at there are endometriosis special centers are there. For example, if you have a patient, the best thing is to go onto the website. Okay, just you put the Google. But what you do is you have to put uh, BSG. You know, it's like British Society of um, Gynecological Endos- uh, Endoscopy. And on that website, you get uh, to the corner endometriosis centers. So if someone living in um, Midlands, okay, they can just go to BSG and then click on the endometriosis you can they put area they'll get which is the closest uh, uh, specialist center what is a bsg center the bsg center is a special place where uh, where there is a multidisciplinary approach is there so if a woman goes with endometriosis and needs surgery okay the diagnosis of endometriosis is actually made when they do the laparoscopy they take a part of endometriosis and they'll send it for histology that confirms the diagnosis of endometriosis of course in some in small percentage of people the the uh, histology can be still be negative so what the centers do is it's a multi, it is a gynecologist who is trained in endometriosis and laparoscopic surgery as a colorectal surgeon and urologist and there will be a, a special nurse will be there with the, in the group uh, there's a, someone who is actually uh, trained to support them and uh, there is a pain consultant and a psychologist or a counselor and a clinical nurse specialist so all of them form into a team and that is how the center is formed and that uh, recognition of the center is uh, goes through they have to go through a different channel so now coming back to the recommendation is uh, basically they want to increase the number of the centers so that uh, there'll be better access to the people uh, but what the APBG wants is they're looking at now the time from the diagnosis from the patient when the patient presents to the time of diagnosis is taking eight years here and in Germany it's taking 10 years in Ireland it's taking five years like that so it's quite variable Mm -hmm. but the UK recommendations are in all four nations to reduce the average diagnosis time to at least four years by 2025 and to one year or less by 2030 and they also recommended that prompt referrals from primary care to secondary care including a diagnostic laparoscopy to have a low threshold and also to build up the NHS capacity to provide more increased access you know for these specialist centers and also we have to integrate mental health support as a part of endometriosis pathway another important point we have to know is there is a lot of important impact on the financial problem as well because these women can't work so that is also affecting so we can actually it is now considered as one of the chronic disease we can give a med 3 you know before there was no it was not recognized as a chronic condition now it is recognized as a chronic condition so they can have some financial help as well it's worth knowing about it yeah thank you 
Um, and and you actually you've, you've said quite a few throughout our chat um, in terms of resources. But have you got any other good resources that you can recommend? Right. Yeah. The, uh, for especially for a busy GP. Okay. Uh, we have only ten minutes and consultation. The patient comes with the pain. So give them the website. The best is uh, giving them endometriosis website. Okay. It's uh, endometriosis dot org UK. Once they click on the website, you can just give that website and ask her to make another appointment you'll be surprised to know the website is is really it has a lot of information it gives facts about endometriosis and it has all the useful links for mental health support uh, for financial um, lifestyle management about nutrition everything it has so endometriosis society is the best source uh, of information so you can give it to the patient and I can ask the patient to come back because you, you want to bring the patient back uh, to examine, then she herself will tell you that, yes, I went through that, I have all the symptoms or I don't have the symptoms or something like that. So it's a very, very useful resource. The other resource, of course, uh, we have the NICE guidelines, but they are updating the NICE guidelines. And if people have, who are interested in uh, uh, more information, uh, the, it's a free access for the ESRHE guidelines, that is the European Society of Reproduction and Embryology guidelines. They have just published it early this year. That also gives a lot of information. And I'm also a part in the, some of the studies are still going on uh, to find out. So I'm, I'm also involved in those studies. So hopefully uh, more will come in future. Great. So um, as we always do at the end of our um, chats, um, we're going to ask you what learning points you want people to take away, what you want people to remember from today. Yeah, uh, one one thing uh, I really want is as uh, primary care doctors and nurses, one should think, just imagine someone coming with a painful uh, victorian, you know, they say, when I'm, I have pain passing urine, a doctor will take it very serious. If a patient says, I have pain opening bowels, we take it very serious. Why not for periods? We should not, I think we should not normalize painful periods. That is what the main message I want to say. Some discomfort will be there for periods, but if the period, pain during the periods is affecting the quality of life, so we have to take it more serious. We have to explore more. Are we missing anything in this condition, in this case? So that is my first learning point, you know, that you have to think about it. Actually, I, I actually created a small um, uh, slide for uh, GPs when I do, I say, Three P's for GPs. The first P is presentation. The presentation is pelvic pain, painful periods, uh, painful intercourse or pain opening bowels. To think about endometriosis, that is the first P. The second P is prescription. The P is prescription is please don't let the uh, the lady go without giving discussing about painkillers or if you want even you can start the prescription of the hormonal treatment. So that is the second P, prescription. And the third P is professional help. These are the women who need a lot of professional help. So you have to have a low threshold to refer them to secondary care and, and explore the, if they have any mental health, uh, you know, which is affecting depression, you know, like their mental health. So refer them for counseling and look for any accredited center or specialist centers. If there is any nearby center, refer them to there. So think about it. And uh, even if the, G, not just the GPs, you know, the most important are the a &E doctors and a &E nurses okay that is the place where they go so we I, so this is what thinking about a condition where which is very common so how we can uh, identify it and not to miss it that is the main thing i feel and will help many women yeah 
Sounds like it. That's a lovely summary. Thanks so much, Uma. Amazing, Uma. That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Because I see the suffering of women, isn't it? I feel so sorry for them. You know, I always feel that we can do more. As primary care doctors, we can do more, I think. So it was absolutely lovely to chat to Uma again. It's been a long time since we spoke whenever we looked at the end there. And it was um, December 2020, was it? You said? Yeah. Um, was the last time we saw her um, but it was lovely to have her back um, what did you take away from the chat today? Yeah I'm really glad we managed to get to speak to her on this topic because I remember last time when we spoke to her she was saying that this was her primary topic of interest and that she's such a massive advocate so it's lovely um, to speak to somebody who's so passionate about it um, so yeah I think that whole orientation of to, as to why she is and why it matters was hugely important like understanding that there's such a massive delay in diagnosis all over the world. Um, and yeah, just a better understanding of, of the impact of this condition on people's quality of life and their suffering. So um, yeah, just how important a condition it is. Yeah. And, and alongside that, um, I was really surprised about the incidents actually, um, mm. that it's up there with things like asthma um, and backache. Yeah. That was shocking to me actually. Yeah, huge. Yeah. And the whole part that she mentioned about the bladder and bowel symptoms that people get and actually thinking about, you know, some of the cystitis that people get around period yes. times and the sort of uh, sterile cystitis where the MSUs are coming back negative. Um, I'm probably not thinking about it as quickly as I should be. Um, and yeah, on, an, on a typical IBS uh, history, I don't know if I'm asking about um sort of pain around period time um or symptoms around periods so yeah quite interesting yeah and also the um the fatigue symptom yeah that's yeah. another one you wouldn't think necessarily to go down an endometriosis route for so that was a really good flag um to remember that going forward yeah absolutely i quite liked her take on um when she sort of said well it's a hormonally responsive condition um if we stop the periods we can stop it i thought that was a quite a good take-home message for primary care because I sometimes do get into this position where it's like well it could be this it might not be uh, and I don't and I try and share my thinking as much as possible but I know the delay in a diagnosis um, if you refer someone to gynae is huge at the moment um, so I think yeah cracking on with treatments if they're not wanting to get pregnant is um, hugely important yeah you're right yeah. Well, no periods no pain yeah <laughs> 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 was quite useful um, and, and when it's broken down like that she did make it sound so simple um you know try painkillers don't let them go out of the room without a prescription yeah. um, and if you don't want to get pregnant try the hormonal treatments it kind of it, it, yeah she, i think she simplified it quite well and quite easily so it made it a lot easier to tackle because it always felt like quite a big scary topic or something um whenever you're presented with it because like you say there's always that uncertainty around it yeah. um so yeah that that i thought was quite helpful yeah, it was definitely. And her um, take home messages, um, not not normalising yeah. painful periods that are affecting people's quality of life. And the three P's as well. It's really good. Kind of, right, yeah, don't don't forget about the prescription <laughs> or the professional help. And yeah, I mean, these endometriosis centres sound pretty spectacular. So it'd be lovely to have all access. I, I can't imagine the difference in people's lives it would make if everyone had access to that. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, another lovely episode, I would say. Really enjoyed that one. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so in all the normal ways. And we'll put um, all of the information in the episode description um, for you um, to get in touch with us. And thank you to everyone um, that keeps getting in touch with us and keeps leaving us feedback. We really do love it. Yeah. Thank you. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost.
podcast has been able to continue to date due to the support of GP Excellence, Wigan Borough CCG, Greater Manchester Training Hub and the GP Fellowship Programme, as well as Greater Manchester Health and Social Care Partnership. Just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. They were recorded in Greater Manchester in 2022. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before you make any treatment decisions. The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast. Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.